All right, let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, we're thankful that uh, despite our sin barring uh, our, our entrance into your presence, Christ has made a way so that the cherubs now have been set aside so that we can come on the basis of his authority, his righteousness, his uh, finished work on our behalf, and we can stand before your presence with boldness and to offer a request before you and, and know that you will hear us and that you, like a loving Father, will come to meet our needs And so we come to you today asking for your help as we look into your word and think about how we relate to the world. And uh, Lord, we pray that you would just show us where we need to improve, show show us uh, where we need to be reminded about your sovereign care for us and, and your power to save. And we pray for your help in all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Over the past five weeks, we've covered everything from from being saved by God to speaking to God, hearing from God, and um, what should characterize our lives together as a church family. And so far, we've really just considered our relationship with God and with other believers, but today we're going to to switch gears a little bit and, and think about our relationship with, with the lost world, non-Christians. And so our focus today is meeting the world. There are a few things that we need to recognize before we begin, first is that we are called to be in the world and not of the world. And that's a statement that you should be familiar with. And the reason for that is because Jesus prayed in this way. In John 17, verse 13, He says, Now I come to you, He's praying to the Father for His disciples, and He says, I pray, uh, and these things I speak in the world so that they may have My joy made full in themselves. And I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. So he says, they're not of the world, but don't take them out of the world. The implication is that they are in the world. So we are in the world, but we're not of the world. And so we need to to recognize that, first of all, before we we get into this... um, discussion today. And basically, the idea there is that God has placed us as Christians in this world in order to live and to work and to be productive, um, not ultimately for the sake of our own glory or our own efforts, but, but ultimately to bear witness for Christ. That's why Christ prayed in that way, to accomplish His purposes. Secondly, a little bit more specifically, this means that that as a Christian, that we are future citizens or we are current citizens citizens of a future kingdom that Christ has promised to establish on this earth. And so while we live in this physical world, uh, this is not the final way that all things are going to be. That the, This world system is not how it's going to end. Um, we will be restored to this world, and, and so there is a sense in which uh, we will still remain here in one sense, although we'll be taken away first, but, but this world is not our home. Finally, um, the way that we think and act must be conformed to the image of Christ. The opposite of that is being conformed to the world, right? John says in 1 John 2, 15-17, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Uh, uh, that's actually Romans 12, 2, but 
But he says, all that's in the world, John says, the lust of the flesh and lust of the eyes and the pride of life, um, we, cannot, uh, we cannot love the world system. That's the idea. Because the world system is governed by the world's prince, Satan. And so that means that this world is full of sin and lies and deceit and futility and and it leads to unbelief if we if we find our our foundation in this world which is passing away so all those things are futile for us to to put our hope in things that are passing away instead we've been given eternal hope direction and purpose and since we have been made members of God's family we are not passive recipients of the rewards and, and the benefits of being in Christ, but we are active recipients. So that means that, that we have, when we come to Christ, we are now given a responsibility. We, we now become, having been reconciled to God, we now become those who call other people to reconciliation. And so the goal of this class is to highlight the importance of how we live before others who don't know Christ and more specifically, how we share the news of Jesus Christ with those who are lost. All right. Any questions on that first page? All right. Let's start with our lives and um, the fact that our lives adorn the gospel. This goes along with what we've seen in Titus, um, that, that the way that we live adorns or detracts from the gospel and we want to be uh, we want to be showing the value of the diamond of the gospel of Jesus Christ rather than detracting from it uh, with our our poor lifestyle or our, our um, hypocritical lifestyle and so we start with with our lives when we're saved we're joined into God's family and called to bear witness to God's truth and reflect His glory. And as a result, it means that we need to do what Jesus prayed about us, that we live in the world but don't live like the world. We're not of the world. Our primary concern is, is God's glory, that whatever we do, whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, we do it all to the glory of God. And... Um, as you'll notice in the handout, we just want to briefly discuss some ways that our conduct, how we live, glorifies God and sets us apart from non-Christians. So the first thing to note is how we can be faithful witnesses to, for Christ or to Christ in our speech. So how is it that our speech can set us apart as Christians? Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Look at Ephesians 4 and then Colossians 4. Our conduct is first expressed in our speech, or at least that's how we're going to look at it. Verse 29, Paul's talking about what it looks like to, to walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And he says in verse 29, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. 
So our words, our speech should not be corrupt. It should not be used to tear people down, to backbite, to gossip, to complain. Um, Paul saying that no unwholesome word should come out of our mouths. And this should be a huge contrast from from a, a lost culture, a culture that is opposed to God because they are constantly using their mouths, their speech, for unwholesome things. And, and we should, should be different in that way. If you spend any time in the secular work world, you've seen this firsthand. Um, even in the non-secular work world, you'll see the same thing, um, but hopefully not to the same degree. That, that people in general, in general, people who are opposed to God, people who are, uh, who are non-Christians, use their conversations in unedifying ways. And as Christians, our speech ought to be characterized by, by wholesome encouragement. Notice what it says there in the text. But only such a word as is good for edification. Only such a a word that is good for building people up. And um, sometimes we can we can compartmentalize our lives and say, well, we, we can do that in this time, this time frame. Like when I'm at church, I can use it for edification. But, but then when I, I'm at home with my family, just kind of relax, more relaxed setting, I can use my words however I want. And Paul's saying, no, don't let, don't let, it, let that ever happen. Our speech says something about what we believe. Now turn over to Colossians 4. Colossians 4, verse 6. And would someone read that for us? Okay. So... What we talk about, the content of our speech, and how we talk about it should be different from those who don't know Christ. So not only should it not be corrupt, but it also should be edifying, encouraging. It, we ought to always know what it is that, how, how it is we, we are supposed to respond. And so we can measure ourselves spiritually in a number of ways, but here's a great way to, to see where we're at in terms of our spiritual maturity. How is it that we're using our tongue? Because the tongue is a deadly evil full of poison um, and, and those who guard it are being led by the Spirit. Those who are able to control their tongue and use it for good are those who are being led by the Spirit. And this actually speaks well to the non-Christians who are watching. When we don't enter into the debate or the, the complaining that's going on about whatever the political world or, or even the, the tragedies that are going on all over the world. When, when we're talking about those things in different ways than they, then it says something about what we believe. You know, sometimes we think that if we kind of just go along with them and commiserate with them in their trouble, that then maybe they'll, they'll um, have more... Um, confidence in us or maybe they'll they'll appreciate us better and and yet what the scriptures are saying is use your words for edification second thing that sets us apart from non-christians is our actions let's turn over to first peter four our actions 
our speech, no matter how how clear or good it sounds on the outside, uh, will not mean a whole lot if our actions don't are, are not consistent with that same uh, that same speech. So a person who who says all the right things is not necessarily a person who's living for God. Um, there are lots of people who uh, can say the right things, but their their lifestyle shows that those they don't actually believe those things. So we need to have a life that is changed, uh, that is a, a life that is noticeably different from a non-Christian, not just different for the sake of difference, but but actually a life that's upright, that's righteous, that's not trying to put on a front so that people see us as, you know, holy and pious and self-righteous. That's not the idea. But rather that, that we don't run off into the same sins as our, our non-Christian friends. Um, th- that there ought to be times when we draw the line. There ought to be many times when we draw the line and say, you know, they, they're wanting to run off into these sins. We just talked about speech, but but into some of these other actions like drunkenness we're going to see here in this text. Um, and, and we should be saying, listen, you know, the, the gospel, my life in Christ, my, my relationship with God is much more important than, than my temporal pleasure. So would someone read verses 1 through 4? Okay, so they should be surprised that you don't run off into the same excesses. I mean, have you found that to be the case with unbelieving family or coworkers saying, "Hey, let's go do this after work," or "Or let's go do this now during our break," and and you say, "No, I'm not going to do that," um, even though for them it might look like a restriction or shackles. Uh, that, that, that the Christian life in some ways um, feels like it's a burden um, for you to take joy and not participating in those things says something about your faith. And, and so there should be times when you are actually maligned because you're not willing to go into the same excesses of dissipation like it says there in verse 4. They're, they're surprised that you don't run off into the same things as they. And... Um, so our actions ought to also speak to to our faithful witness about Christ. And then in our vocation, our vocation, um, one of the ways that we can glorify God and bear witness to God in our work is is by working hard, being honest, being diligent. We saw this in Titus two that workers, or in that case, bond slaves, are supposed to be reliable. They're supposed to be um, not argumentative, not pilfering. 
And so there ought to be in our actions something that's different about the way that we work compared to a non-Christian person. Um, So that when they see our good works, they will glorify our Father in heaven, Matthew 5, I think it said. Is anyone at Matthew 5? Yeah, let, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven. The reason we can work in in a different way than they is because we recognize that our ultimate boss, our ultimate master, is not that person who's directly over us or even the owner of the company, but but it is God. We work for we work for the Lord, and so we gladly work hard even when our boss is not looking over our shoulder. We gladly um, are honest even when it's going to harm our our um, pathway to a greater position in the company. We take responsibility for our mistakes and our our failures rather than passing them off to someone else. I think we've all worked with people like that, right? Who, when when they've done something wrong, they pass the blame to somebody else and they're, they're never responsible for their own actions. And yet Christians are willing to... to um, um, to take the hard road when necessary in order to to uh, be faithful to their ultimate master. Alright, so first, living faithful lives. This is a way that we adorn the gospel for those who are watching. Any questions on that? Our speech, action, work? Well, ultimately, we're called to do more than just live a godly life. Some of us who are more introverted might might think, well, you know, maybe if I just act good in front of people, then that will be enough. People will just come and ask me questions, and, and maybe they will. You know, First Peter 3.15, I think it is, says that always be ready to give an answer for the hope that is within you. So there are, are going to be times, and I've had that happen myself, and, and likely you have as well, where people have come up and just asked you, like, what is it that's different? I mean, I've, I told the story about how my parents got saved, and that's exactly what they did to the people, my aunt and uncle, who were different. You just went up and asked them, what, what is it that's different about you? And, and so that should happen on occasion. But if that's, our, if that's our strategy for getting the gospel out to people, it's not a good one because it's not all, it, it doesn't fill out what the Scriptures expect of us for sharing the gospel. Let me just put it more bluntly. We cannot share the gospel simply or solely with our lives. We cannot share the gospel solely with our lives. That's part of it. We started with that. It's important. Um, But evangelism is articulating the gospel of Jesus Christ and the claim that the gospel has on people to repent and believe. It's articulating the gospel of Jesus Christ and the claim that the gospel has on them to repent and believe. So God has called all people everywhere to repent. That needs to be made clear in our gospel presentation, not I'm going to be over here and doing all my work. And that was kind of typewriter slash assembly line um, acting over there. But um, it's not just in doing the work. It's actually in articulating the gospel. It's actually speaking up for the sake of Christ. So that may seem a little basic, you know, we have to verbally speak the gospel, but but I think we need to be reminded about it because 
we're often tempted to just say, well, I'll just go about my business. They can go about their business. If they want to talk about it, I'll talk about it. But for right now, I just hopefully they'll see it and then maybe they can talk to somebody else and or maybe they can stumble across the Scriptures on their own. Maybe they can see me reading my Bible and they'll go and read their Bible. And, and that's kind of our passive-aggressive way to, to reach people, which I think is... Um, is actually uh, in violation, maybe too strong a word, but but maybe not, um, violation of what the Scripture expects of us, that we are called to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ, and ambassadors are called to speak, to call people to reconciliation, be reconciled to God. There's a command that we need to give to the world. I, I often think of our responsibility as heralders of the King. The King has a message. The way that He speaks His message is through His people. Can anyone think of a verse that teaches us that people actually need the Word in order to be saved rather than just actions? I mean, am I just blowing smoke up here? Is there something in the Scriptures that confirms what I'm saying? Okay. Right? The, um, thank you. Yeah, I was trying to, trying to remember that. Thank you. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So, faith comes by watching somebody um, live righteously. No. Faith comes by hearing. They need to hear the Word of God. In fact, Paul has that great set of questions, logical set of questions that, that, are, that lead up to that, which we're going to talk about here in just a minute. You know, that how can they call on Him in whom they have not heard? Not how can they call on Him in whom they've not seen a faithful gospel witness or faithful gospel, you know, person living that way. It's how can they call on Him in whom they have not heard. And so we need to declare the authority of God, what God has done for the sake of sinners. We need to help them to see that they are sinners and then that God has done something for them to, to provide a way that they can be right made right before Him. So, four things. Why should we... Why should we meet with the world? Why should we meet the world with the good news of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ? First, it's commanded or expected at the very least, but I think um, commanded is not too strong of a term. Um, it's a matter of obedience. If we're going to be a Christian, then part of being a Christian is doing what Jesus did, and Jesus came to seek and to save those who were lost. And so we ought to seek and to, to try to see them drawn to salvation, those who are lost. We ought to follow His example in that way. Jesus came and proclaimed the message of salvation. We ought to come to other people and proclaim the message of salvation. Jesus told us before He left, this was not just a message for the disciples, but He said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them how to do everything that I've commanded you and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. That's why we know it's not just the disciples. But because he's saying, as long as this age goes on, this is your responsibility. Not just for the disciples. And so, if we're going to make disciples, it implies that we first have to see someone converted. Right? We can't make disciples out of nothing. So there's this implication that we have to share the gospel with them. And Mark 16, um, which... Uh, if you look in, in the text there, you notice that it's debated whether that's part of the original manuscripts, but if it is, Mark 16:15 says to go and, and preach the gospel to every nation. Um, so so um, 
I think we have a responsibility, um, and, and I didn't write down the verse in Corinthians that talks about being reconciled to God, and, and I can't find it right now, but, but basically the fact that we are ambassadors for God and we have been reconciled to God, now we call other people to be reconciled to Him. So that's, that's the picture that we've used before of, uh, from Jonathan Lehman's book, um, church membership that we are kind of like the, um, the we're the U.S. Embassy you know and when we come in to join in membership we actually become part of the embassy and we start to affirm or deny the the um, salvation of other people and, and in a similar way we when we come to saving faith in Christ we now come on the other side of the counter or we could say on the other side of the platform so if we're we're listening to the gospel and now we receive the gospel, we actually now come and stand up on the platform and call other people to the same gospel. Or if you think it like, like a herald, you know, the herald saying to the townspeople, let's go, this is what the king said, get in line. And when we decide we're going to get in line, one of our responsibilities is to get other people in line. You know, that we're, we're going to stand up and herald the gospel as well. So first it's commanded. Secondly, evangelism is how God carries out His plan. So how is it that God brings people into membership into Christ's future kingdom? I mean, if we just think about it from that, that very basic question, how is it that God carries out His plan? And this text in Romans 10 is, is the answer. It's from the beautiful feet of people who happily bring good news to those who are, who are opposed to God and who are actually enemies of God, right? Right? So that whoever, Romans 10.13, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And how will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in Him in whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a proclaimer or preacher? And how will they proclaim unless they're sent? See, God has this system that's set up that the way that people are going to come to saving faith is through His Word as people like you and me share that Word with them. I mean, the way that you came to Christ was because someone else was bold enough and clear enough to share the gospel with you. And why would we think that it's going to be any different for someone else? That somehow they're going to have a, you know, they're going to be standing out in the park or something and a Bible is going to drop in their hands and it's going to open right up to the passage they need and they're going to start reading and then they're going to have this experience and I mean, the way that people come to Christ is the way that you came to Christ. Through people who, through friends and family and, and people who are concerned about you. And, and so God's plan to redeem people is through a message of a believer. Thirdly, how should we meet with the world? How should we meet the world with this good news? Um... Or why should we, I should say. It's commanded. It's how God carries out His plan. And then thirdly, it reflects the same love that Christ had for the lost. This, I think, is one of the hardest things to, um, to develop with regard to evangelism, is this love for the lost. Because it's too easy to go about our business in life and forget that we have people all around us 
that are, are dying and going to hell. And we can, we can kind of get so wrapped up in what we're doing that we forget that we have someone next to us that doesn't have the good news or hasn't responded to the good news of Jesus Christ. You know, maybe we've taken for granted our salvation a little bit too much. And yet Jesus in Matthew 9:36 says that as he saw the people, he was I think he was up on a mountain, he's looking over the city and he sees the people and it says he felt compassion on them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. There's another passage in Luke where where Jesus um, weeps over the city of Jerusalem and says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I would love to gather you in. You know, like a hen gathers in its chicks. And, and Jesus has this desire to see people come to Christ. I mean, have you ever just um, had a bird eye, bird's eye view of a city, maybe at the top of a building or from an airplane or or from the top of a parking structure and just kind of looked over the city, all the busyness that's happening down below, and, and thought that these people need Christ. You know, these people need to hear the gospel. Jesus said, right after it said that he felt compassion for them in Mark 9, it says in verse 37, Jesus said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And so pray that the Lord of the harvest would send out workers into his harvest. And the expectation there was not just, okay, disciples, there's a job to do, so you pray that other people will make it, but, but you also be a part of it. I mean, in your prayer, one of the ways you're going to see that prayer answered is by you participating in it, I think. I mean, he's not saying, okay, don't worry about you participating, just pray for other people to do it. He's saying the job's so big, there's so many people that are ready to be harvested with regard to um, coming into the, to the gospel. That didn't sound very good. People are being harvested. But... Um, but so many souls that need to be saved and and um, the job's just too big for you, you 11 disciples effectively. And so we ought to reflect the same love that Jesus have has for the lost. Finally, we should evangelize because we love God. John 14:15, if you love me, Jesus said, you will keep my commandments. So one of the ways that we express our love for God is by following his example of reaching out to people who are opposed to him. And, and so this ought to motivate us as we come more in line with God's purposes and God's um, love for the lost. We ought to submit ourselves under that same idea and, and have that kind of love for the lost and love for God to see him accomplish his purpose through, through us. All right, we need to keep moving. Any questions, though? Comments? All right, well, if it is good news, why is it so difficult to share? Why is it so difficult? We've already talked about a few of these, and, and certainly if you've been around for a while, we've touched on, on all these before, but it's good to be reminded just so that we know what kind of obstacles that we are creating ourselves to this, this challenge that we've, we've been given. All right, first, fear of man. I mean, isn't it true that that sharing the gospel can can actually be paralyzing in some ways, debilitating? Like, what could possibly happen? Especially, and I, I think for me, it's it's close family members. You know, and I'm not like some of you that I have people within my immediate family or even my extended family, but but in my extended extended family, I do. And it's those types of people 
for me, and I'm sure even for you, if you have closer family members than that who are unbelievers, it's hard to share the gospel with them. You know, it's almost easier to knock on somebody's door who you don't know and you'll never see again than it is to share the gospel with the person I work next to or my close family member because what can happen? And whatever, however you answer that question, what would, what would happen if they rejected it? However you answer that question is the fear of man. I mean, that's the, those types of fears have actually come and, and, and they have overwhelmed us to the point where, you know what, we've said it enough, we'll leave them alone, we don't want to set up any more barriers. Um, yes, Melissa. Yeah. Yeah, I mean we're not we're not saying you can get there any way you want or you know your god's good enough. We're not we're not buying into our culture's philosophy of moral relativism that you know whatever you think's good that's good for you, you know that you believe Christ is the only way. But for me it's something different. We're actually saying no. This is a matter there are only two ways to live, right? <clears throat> like the the tract we have out there, there are only two ways. You got two choices. And there's only one way to God. And so we're actually calling you to make a choice, and when we're doing that, we're actually suggesting that you've made the wrong choice up until this point. And and yeah, so so there is this fear of man. What could they do to me? What could how could this harm our relationship? And and I think sometimes those motives are good because we don't want to cut them off completely from ever hearing us from the gospel. But I think sometimes we justify our non-speaking about the gospel because we don't want to give up a future opportunity to share. Um, secondly, fear of inadequacy or lack of knowledge. So fear of man, fear of inadequacy. I mean, especially if if you've not been saved for very long, the the thought is, well, you know what? I just don't know enough about the gospel, and, and I'll probably say something wrong. But but we need to re- we need to recognize is that the disciples were um, were only with Jesus for a few years. Uh, and, and they were yet, and yet they were still sent out. It, it seems like even before Jesus left, they were sent out to share the gospel. And so, if they, probably late teenagers, early twenties guys, are able to to learn the gospel just from sitting at the feet of Jesus and then going out and probably making mistakes along the way, that's okay. I mean, isn't it amazing that God can use a flawed person to share the gospel? I mean, did not God do that with you? I mean, did, did the person that shared the gospel with you, did they, they know everything correct about theology? Did they know exactly what to say to every single one of your questions? Did the person that, that, um, that shared the gospel with you, did they answer every one of your questions right when you asked it? Or was there ever a time when they said, you know what, I need to think about that and get back to you? Or I, I haven't really thought about that. That's okay. You know, the... The point is that we need to share the gospel. It's not a good excuse to say, I don't have enough knowledge. If you know the gospel, if you have been saved by the gospel, you have enough to share with someone else. That's one of the reasons why when we uh, ask, or when people join our church, we ask them, what is the gospel and how do you know that you've received it? Because that's the very basic, the first thing that, that people need to know. And we, if we're going to share the gospel, it, it starts there. It's just... Um, certainly, we want to get better. Okay, so um, don't 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 think don't hear me say, well, just whatever you got, that's good enough. Uh, keep getting better at it, um, but but don't feel paralyzed because you don't know enough. Thirdly, too busy. 
lack of concern. And uh, certainly when in a culture that, that goes at 100 miles per hour, you know, it's, we constantly in activities and, and, and work and, and, uh, and there's always something to do. And so we can very easily lose sight of what's most important. All right. A couple things to remember before we get to some practical considerations. Number one, evangelism is fundamentally about content. It's fundamentally about content. It's not about a sales technique. So you might think, well, you know what? I would never make it as a salesman. I could never sell a vacuum or anything. I couldn't you know, work at Best Buy or something and try to sell people products. I couldn't do that. Um, but but uh, salvation or faithful evangelism is not primarily about sales techniques. You know, getting them to pray the prayer. Like, if I can just get them to, to admit that they're a sinner and then if I can just get them to pray the prayer, that's not ultimately what we're doing. Our job primarily is faithfulness to the message. God's job is to get them to, to respond, okay? Uh, our job is to share the message. God's, got, God's job is to convert them. We can't convert anyone. We can't save anyone. We can't force anyone into a decision. And also, ultim- ultimately, those kind of forced decisions are, are uh, a lot of times don't pan out, right? When we, when we force someone to, to pray the prayer um, type thing, which is kind of what, what I grew up on, the anti-intellectual kind of approach to evangelism that says, you know, it's not really about whether you d- take up your cross and deny yourself, take up your cross daily, deny yourself and follow Jesus. It doesn't matter. You just need to, you know, eternal freedom from hell or a rescue from hell. And the way that you do that is by saying these words. Well, no, Jesus doesn't save people just by saying words. Um, he saves them by changing their hearts. And so they actually need to recognize what they're agreeing to. They need to be willing to count the cost. And they need to be converted. And so our job primarily is to be faithful, even if we never see a convert. Our job is to share the message. And and so we need to, to get good at at what the message includes and, and how we can share it. One of the ways that, that we try to help you uh, here in the church is just provide resources that you can give to people because um, just to kind of um, summarize the gospel, these two tracks that we have out there I think are two of the best that I've seen uh, for that purpose. But we also have a class that we try to offer once or twice a year called Christianity Explored, which I'll just make a plug for it right now because it's coming up in September, I think it is. Um, yeah, September, we just meet once a week and it's like an hour, hour and a half and has some snacks and has an opportunity for us to bring some non-Christians who are not comfortable sitting in a formal church service but, but who would be comfortable asking some questions in a smaller group setting? And, um, and we just walk through the book of Mark. I mean, that's our goal, just to read through the book of Mark together and then ask questions about it and, and be confronted with the person of Jesus Christ. And, and so that's another helpful way for you to be able to engage a non-Christian friend who, who may not be um, willing to, to step into a formal service uh, like we have. And so we'll talk more about that as we get closer and we're going to be doing some canvassing for that as well. But, um, but I just want to throw that out there for you. And, and even if 
you don't have any um, unbelieving friends that that would be willing to come to something like that. I'm going to strongly encourage that you that you do invite people. But but even if you don't, it's a good thing to sit through at least one time for yourself, just to um, because this it's a type of uh, Bible study that you could do on your own, and it's not complicated. It's just walking through the Book of Mark. So we'll we'll talk more about that. But we want to help equip you here. Um, to to share the gospel um, with those that you love that that are opposed to it at this point. Secondly, your testimony in and of itself is not evangelism. Okay, so I already talked about this. Your testimony in and of itself is not evangelism. You know, you've heard people say, uh, share the gospel and if necessary, use words. I think that's a cop-out. Um, I think we have to use words if we're going to share the gospel. And so, in this case, sometimes what we do is is we just share how we came to Christ and we think that that's the gospel. Now, we can, and I, and I um, encourage the, the uh, people who have gone on mission trips with us, one of the things that we always do is we, we, um, we write out our testimony of salvation. And, and I've given them uh, a sheet that I've found to be helpful that just helps to walk through a way that we can share our testimony while at the same time giving the gospel. But but if we just say how we came to Christ, that's not necessarily evangelism. Um, people might respond, well, that, that's that's great for you, but I'm interested in Buddhism or something else. So, so it's not just about giving our testimony. It's not just about how we live. But thirdly, we don't want to deny that, and that is how you live matters. How you live matters. Don Whitney in his book, Spiritual Discipline, says the most powerful ongoing Christian witness has always been the speaking of God's Word by one who is living God's Word. I mean, isn't that true? When when you came to Christ, I mean, I know it's the case for me, that it wasn't just someone who just spoke the Word of God, but it was someone who spoke and lived it. And to me, that was a powerful testimony to the reality of what they were saying. And so those two things combined together are critical. Finally, um, I, I mentioned this earlier, but I'll just say it for your handout there. God does the converting. Okay, don't don't mix up whose job is what. Okay, God's job is to do the converting. It's it's the Holy Spirit that has to work in the heart, and that's why we pray, isn't it? I mean, it's because we know we can't ultimately do it. It's why we pray and say, God, will you do the work in them? Because we know that we can't. And that should give us great comfort for the for sharing the gospel. That you know what, my job is just to get the message to them. You know, I don't know how many people in Royal Oak God has has planned to save, but I do know that if they're going to be saved, they have to hear the gospel. So, so I want to I want to give the gospel to them. I want to share the gospel with them. I can't do it to everybody, but but I can do it to a few. And and if God is so pleased to save them. Then, then praise Him for that. But, but if not, I haven't failed in my responsibility. Right? It is required in stewards that a man be found not fruitful, but faithful. God's the one who produces the fruit. We simply have a responsibility to be faithful. All right, let's think of some practical considerations here, and then I'll see if you have any questions, and we'll pray. How can we faithfully obey 
God's expectation to share the good news. First, read good books to help you be effective in evangelism. Okay, or just study the book of Acts. You know, how is it that the, that the apostles shared the gospel? Uh, but but there's also some good books that you can that um, that are great resources in this way. I've got a number in the cabinet out there that you're welcome to borrow or I can order for you if you need to. Um, Speaking of Jesus by Max Stiles. Evangelism by Max Stiles is a good one. Tell the Truth by Will Metzger is more theological, a little bit deeper. Um, One of my favorite books on evangelism is um, The Gospel for Muslims by Thabiti Anabwile. And it's... um, I like it because you can use it for more than just Muslims. I mean, he, he's focusing primarily on how you share it with Muslims, but, but the, the meat of it, the bones of, of, of his content there is really solid. And, and so even if you don't have Muslim friends um, that you're trying to witness to, uh, you would be much helped by that book as well. I have a copy of that as, if you're interested. And then uh, perhaps a more um, academic book, but really helpful and short is J.I. Packer's Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God. How is it that that God can save people? If God does the saving, how is it that He can use people like us? Uh, how is it God's sovereignty work with our responsibility to share the gospel? And, and it's kind of a short book, but really profound and, and deep. So read good books on that. Study through the book of Acts. Secondly, pray for opportunities. I mean, have you found the it to be the case, like I have, that, that when you've prayed for opportunities, you actually see more opportunities to share the gospel. And uh, I think, in part, that's God's faithfulness in answering our prayer, but also I think it's because simply we're more aware of it, right? I mean, the things that we pray about are the things that we're thinking about and we're aware of. So when we see those opportunities unfold, um, it, it's clear. And so pray that God would would provide opportunities. And then pray that you'd follow through on them. Colossians 4, 5. Make the most of every opportunity that you have, knowing that the days are evil. So so when those opportunities come, pray that, that you'll be faithful. Number three, be patient and persistent. Most evangelism takes place over a long period of time, not in one sitting. You know, we, we like to do the the machine gun or the microwave approach to evangelism. You know, if I can just spew it all out, repent and believe in the gospel. You know, then then they'll be saved. And perhaps God might work through that. But but generally, think about how you got saved again. How is it that you came to know uh, the the value, the glory of the gospel? Did it not happen over a long period of time? I mean. How many of you uh, heard the gospel more than 10 years before you actually came to Christ? Okay, about eight of you, seven or eight of you. Okay, so um, yes, 45. Yeah. Um, so, so again, just take the long, plodding farmer approach to evangelism. Um, yes, be urgent. You know, the, the, the opposite extreme of, of that is, is to uh, be lazy and just say, well, you know what? They got time. And um, 
I, I can think of specific times and specific people I was praying for for the gospel that have died, you know, since and then they, they hadn't responded before they died. And so so be urgent, but be like the farmer and recognize that, that real change doesn't happen like a microwave spiritually. Okay? It happens more like a farmer's approach to planting a field. Just plant the seed or, or spread the seed and pray that God will do something and see what happens. So be patient. All right. I had four spots there for you, but I only have three for you. So you can cross out that last one. Any questions, or you can split that last one to the two, right? Be patient, then be persistent. Any questions or comments? Sandra. Yeah, so you mean step one, like recognizing that they're a sinner before they understand that? Yeah. Um, yeah, and there's some there's some value in that. Um, there, there's no problem in giving the whole gospel all at once and then going back and working on individual parts, but I, I see your point there. All right. Anything else? Briefly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, yeah. Absolutely. I I I would imagine I mean even Paul, the apostle Paul of all people, um prayed for courage, asked for the church to pray for courage for him when he shared the gospel because the apparently he didn't have enough you know, there were times when he shrunk back from explaining the gospel. And so he said, pray that I will not shrink back. So if he's doing it, um, you know, the main thing is to follow through on and actually, actually share the gospel. God can use broken vessels like us to, um, you know, broken jars of clay to, to, um, to accomplish his purposes. Let's pray. Father, thank you for um, being patient with us, the gospel, and thank you for the people that you brought into our lives to actually proclaim it and live it uh, in front of us. And we pray that you'd help us to be like that to others. In Jesus' name, amen.